0: Several years back, I had entered my first ever uh, race. Like, has anybody ever ran, entered a race? I, I've, sh- maybe I often repeat my stories here. So, you know, forgive me if I do, but it was a five kilometer race, not a marathon. I'm no runner, but I run sometimes. So is that a good definition? I'm no runner, but sometimes I run. Uh, and in, there was 800 people running that day, starting at the civic center over here in DDO is a circuit endurance run race. Maybe you could put the picture. It's actually the picture of, uh, not then that was, this is 2008. And, um, I never wear shorts like that. I promise you. Uh, and so and I came in 425th or something isn't that amazing now I noticed yeah I'm just joking I noticed something about that race Uh, I noticed a couple of things one is I ran faster in that race than I normally run I didn't get discouraged as quickly as I would have if I was alone and I had people at the finish line cheering me on big difference than when you run by yourself so I went faster than I normally did, didn't get as discouraged, and I had people at the end cheering me on. It's way better to run together than to run alone. Isn't that true? It's way better to run. And I have some friends that work out with other friends, and uh, they seem like more motivated than me for some reason, because they're working out together rather than alone. There's this passage that I want to jump into today. It's Hebrews chapter 12, and it's this, it gives us this metaphor of of how the the, the New Testament describes the life of a follower of Jesus. And we can also apply it to life, but it's particularly leaning into what it means to follow Jesus. And the metaphor is is one running a race. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, the the writer actually calls us into this in this middle of or towards the end of this letter, and he says, let us run the race marked out for us. He's he's writing to a group of Christians uh, in the first century that needed to understand that what they were doing as they put their faith in Jesus and walked day to day living out this faith and, and, and being a Christ follower in their world was similar to running a race um, with other people. And so here's this call from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, let us run the race marked out for us. Again, this incredible metaphor we can find in other parts of the New Testament of what it means to follow Jesus, this call to be on journey while we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, but we move forward together. And I love it because the metaphor helps us understand we are not alone. Let us run this race, right? Not let you run this race by yourself. Let us run this race. And this race of what it means to follow Jesus and, and live this life and discern from day to day and, and wrestle with what it means to follow Christ in my workplace and as an employer or as an employee or in my relationships or my marriage or my friendships or in my neighborhood, it, it includes a lot of what we've talked about the last few weeks because the last few weeks we've been in this series called The Well— which we've been talking about what it means to live out of a deeper source. We don't want to live out of a shallow source. We want to live out of a deeper source, this idea of an ancient well where we draw water from. When we make decisions, when we respond to opportunities, when we actually spend time praying or utter prayers, when we walk through struggles or hit obstacles, we need a deeper source for all of this. Otherwise, we're grasping at something shallow, straws. And this well we've developed over the last few weeks included things like the practice of silence, engaging scripture. Last week we talked about listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives because he's the designer that collaborates, puts all these pieces together. But what we're, I think what you and I are tempted with when we think about this well is that it's like a private well. It's like it's an individual thing. I'm doing this by myself. And sometimes we can get tempted because even the practices we've shared together, this five plus ten plus five, like five minutes of silence, ten minutes of Scripture, five minutes listening to the Holy Spirit, it's just a, a way to help us get started. We can dig much deeper into that. But sometimes we can think we're doing that alone. Because in essence, I mean, when I spend five minutes alone, that actually is easier to spend five minutes alone than spend five minutes in silence with you. I mean, we've practiced it, but... You know what I mean? Like when, so sometimes we're tempted to say, well, this is an individual thing. This is a solo project. This is a, uh, you know, a journey I'm going to do by myself. And yet God has designed a deeper source for us that we are all a part of. And it's called the church. And for the sake of words, because I love words, and we've used silence, and we've used scripture, and we've used spirit. What word are we going to use today? You know that song? Oh, when the... Yeah, you got it. When the saints come marching in. I'm not going to sing it for you. but. That, that, that's a word often used for the church, you know. Uh, I know that none of us here live that out perfectly, but I want to just get that image in our mind that there's this deeper source available for us that we're all a part of called the church or the fact that we are part of a community of saints, not because we're perfect, but because Jesus has done something for us on the cross and has enabled us to be part of God's incredible family. But the issue for some Christians, especially those of, us, those of us in Protestant and evangelical traditions, is this. Because we have this high view of Scripture, which is so vital that we have this high view of Scripture, often from the Reformers in the 15th century, they coined this phrase, sola scriptura, only Scripture, which is probably better to be said primarily the primacy of Scripture, But because we often have this view of Scripture that is high, it can often result in a low view of the church. Or this strong view of Scripture sometimes results in a weak view of the church. So a high, what's called maybe bibliology, the study of Scripture, often can become a low ecclesiology, study of the church. And I think that happens because for for good reasons, we lift the scriptures in high regard as God's authoritative word to us. And then sometimes what we do is we almost put the scripture against the church in terms of what it means to follow God and also have the church as a deep source for us. I'll get into that a little bit. This could be a whole another talk. But today I want us to get this into our hearts and our minds. The church is actually a deep source available to us And I don't mean the building, but the concept of the church, God's very God's family, the body of Christ, is there. And there's a whole bunch of texts we could go to understand this, but I want to just choose this one that we started with in Hebrews chapter 12 that is so vital. We're called to run this race, but before we, we even get to that point, here's what the writer says. Therefore, and we're going to use the therefore in a second to go back to chapter 11. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a, what does it say? A great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. That first line, the first verse, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. I love this because as this writer says, let us run this race he starts off, they start off helping us understand what he just talks about in chapter 11, that we're surrounded by, we're part of a body, we're part of a group, we're part of God's family, we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses. And if, if you had some time, we can go back and read chapter 11. It's 40 verses, so we're not going to read it right now. But chapter 11 is this list of people from centuries past who put their faith in God, who by their faith trusted God and acted and lived and pursued and experienced God. People like Abraham and Joseph and Moses and Noah and Rahab and other people like that. Some were known, some were less known, some weren't even known. We're gonna see this. They weren't even mentioned. We don't even know their names. But they're all part of this body, this this cloud of witnesses Together, this history of God's people and individually as their names are mentioned or their stories are mentioned, it describes how they put their faith in action. And there's something about what's the, the, the collection of that that is for us, that is, is a deep well for us. It's important for us. What we saw their faith resulted in and the fact that they're all brought together like this cloud of witnesses. And what chapter 11 does, if you get a chance to read it, but we can even just imagine this list being shared of all these people, all these names who have put their faith in God and walked forward in this way, it really gives us this incredible view. Have you ever been, have you ever kind of climbed a mountain and saw the view from one of the peaks? So last summer, uh, my wife and my son, we went out down to to Mont St. Hilaire and we drove into the eastern townships and uh, we were were just kind of getting there. And and, you're you're on the highway, you're going through the town and then you park and you, you walk up and you don't see the landscape when you're driving as much. And then we only got up to this lookout that was about like 380 meters or something. And all of a sudden, you look out and you see the landscape. You see the other smaller mountains, you see the river that cuts through, uh, you know, that cuts through the region, you see the farmland and the small bodies of water, and all of a sudden from this, this view, you're looking out, you're like, oh, this is what this whole region looks like. So you step back and now you just have this perspective that you never had on the ground. And that's kind of what's happening with this list. As, as you would read this list, and, and the author refers back to this cloud of witnesses that have put their faith in, in God, what you have is this view. You just stand back, you're like, oh, this is what this all looks like. This view of people who've gone before us, who collectively make up this landscape of faith, God's people. And, and here's the reason why, and I wrote it on the screen, to help us move forward, we need a view of what's come before us and what we're a part of. So often we want to move forward. We want to take, take steps forward. We want to live a life even following Christ and, and live a life that, that, that grows in him and, and risks for him. But often what we, really, what we need to help us move forward is actually this view of what's behind us and what we're a part of. And it just opens up our minds and our hearts and our eyes to what's possible. This cloud of witnesses is so valuable It's more than just stories. It's more than just saying, you know, Abraham left his home uh, region to follow the voice of God. It's more than just reading that, you know, Joseph went through this difficult time and then was used in, uh, you know, by God in that era as Egypt was ruling. It's more than just reading about these stories. It's a body of wisdom. It's a body of hope. It's a body of encouragement. It's a body of, of life and of truth. And I love the, the value that we see here. Chapter 11, verse 16 says this incredible line uh, when we read it. It says, God is not ashamed to be called their God. So as this list is going on, all these people, the writer says, God was not ashamed to be called their God. For he, was, he has been preparing a city for them. He's looking towards the future. But I love that first line. God's not ashamed to be called their God. N.T. Wright says it this way. God's not ashamed to be associated with this strange, nomadic little family to be seen in their company and known as their God. God says that about us too. Like, who are we? We're like just a bunch of ordinary people in Montreal, and God's not ashamed to be called our God. God's not ashamed to be associated with us. Now, some of the things we do or the messes we get into or the detours we take, we're like, I don't know if God wants to be part of that. But isn't there something beautiful about that? The value of what it means to be part of this body, to be part of God's people. God's not ashamed to be associated with us. There's a value here. And it's that God's people are this deeper source that's available to us. And when we read Hebrews 11 and 12, their life and their stories, they become a springboard for running this race. They become a springboard for us. We look back and we see what's what's behind us and we see what's around us so we can make steps forward, moving forward, running this race. And what gives me a sense of this is this one little word in here. How is this a deeper source? How is this a well for us to draw from? And it's the word witness. Because the writer says it's a cloud of witnesses, a cloud of witnesses, that's what, what the writer calls these, the, the body of these people. This group of people. Because I don't know what you, you know about witness, but to bear witness, right? If, I, if I'm bearing witness to something, it means that you're able to draw from my testimony, right? So if I'm telling you know Steve something and I'm giving him a witness of something, I'm kind of showing him something, all of a sudden he has something to take from me. He can take my words, he can take my story, he can take my testimony, and he's drawing from it. He can actually share it. So when, when somebody bears witness to somebody else, people are able to draw from that testimony. They're able to learn from you. They're able to discern from you. They're able to be inspired by you, to be challenged by you. When you bear witness, you have something to offer people. When you bear witness to someone, you're offering them something and they have something that they can grab from you. And so the author calls this body of people, God's people over time, a cloud of witnesses, people that have something to offer us. Their life and their stories and their faith and their risk and their actions are something to offer us. It's amazing, even in our world, we are, and we at Westside like to do this, I, I view it this way, that the church is a prophetic witness to the world. The world might not always want to listen to the church, but the church should be a prophetic witness to the world. When we pursue God's love and God's justice and God's righteousness and God's ways, all of a sudden we, bec- we become a prophetic voice to the world. The world has an opportunity to look and say, oh, maybe this is the way things are meant to be. So when we reconcile and we, when we forgive, when we confess, when we work out love with each other, and the world sees that, maybe they're looking and saying, oh, this is what this looks like. Because to be a witness means that we become like a compass. A compass. So others around us have some direction. Man, there's been, such, there's, there's been some seasons in the church that haven't been great, but then there's been seasons in the church in history where they have been such an incredible compass for the surrounding world around them, where the world actually started to realize maybe we have gone too far. Maybe we have treated people poorly. Maybe we have not viewed people in God's image and the, this, to be a witness is to be a compass for the world around them, around us. And so we have this cloud of witnesses. I love this phrase, since we have this cloud of witnesses. And I want us to just unpack this for a second. And here's kind of part, partly what it means. These people that, that, that the writer lists in, in chapter 11 that we get, we understand from, they actually bore witness to God. God notices them. They had something, their lives is something that God looked upon and said, oh, I'm seeing what you're doing. And we see it in verse, verse 2 and verse 39. Uh, we get this word that God commended them for their faith. And in verse 39, it's the same thing. These people, putting them all together in the same basket, were commended for their faith. That word commend is, is really interesting because part of the root of that word is the root martyr, is, is the word martyr, And actually, the word martyr is the real word for witness. We use the word witness when it's translated in our New Testament, but the word witness is actually the word martyr. The reason is because witnesses of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the first century often got killed because of their faith. And so we often see the word martyr as a way of like something as persecution, but the word martyr is the word witness. And inside this word commend... Part of the root reflects the root for witness. They were commended for their faith. They were a- approved of for their faith. They were known or they were famous for their faith, for their lives, and God took notice of them. Text says it. God commended them for their faith. He noticed them, so their lives bore witness to God. God noticed what they were doing, and that, no one took that lightly. In fact, verse 38 says, the world was not worthy of them. The world was not worthy of these people. We already read, God was not ashamed to be called their God. Man, these people bore witness to God. That's incredible. This other piece of it is important. They bear witness to us. That's what it means that they're a cloud of witnesses. They bear witness to us. They are offering us something. And we can draw from them. This is a deep source, a deep well we can draw from. Their story their faith speaks to us and we learn about God and we learn about faith and we learn about perseverance. We learn it through Abel's offering right from Genesis where he sacrifices his offering and gives that to God. We hear about it in Noah's risk where he risks his life and his family to listen to this word from God. We hear it in, in, in Abraham's obedience where he leaves his region and, and goes to another region and starts following this prompting from this, this voice he never heard from before. It seemed crazy but his obedience moved him forward and God Used him to be a blessing to nations. We read it, we, we see that, that it, in Joseph's resilience, he was sold into slavery, he was put into prison, and yet over time, God used him in such an incredible way. We see it in his resilience, we see it in Moses' courage, we see it in Rahab's hospitality. This lady who lives at the edge of where the Israelites were going to go into this place, and they had nobody, nobody, nobody to help them. And then this lady, Rahab, says, You can hide out here. Her hospitality gets mentioned as a hero of faith in, in Hebrews 11. Her action, her step, and these people are a well we can live from. They bear witness to us, and we can draw from them, and this is so important to understand and, and why I mentioned before that sometimes we miss this because the, the scriptures is so important for us. We, we, we um, We keep it in high regard. But I want you to recognize this, that these names, these stories, they're very witness, they're very testimony, their lives are not just written word. We get it in the scriptures. We read about Moses. You can go back and read about Joseph. But it's not only because they're in the scriptures. It's because they acted in faith and they followed God. And it's their action and their faith and their testimony that speaks volume to us. You can go back and read about it, but let me tell you, their reference there is the fact that it's a collective body. But you know what? There's there's people in there we don't know. We can't find them in scripture. We only read we only read this, verse 35 to 39. I love this because there's no name mentioned. There were others who were tortured refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some, we don't know their names, faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. The world was not worthy of them. We don't know their names, but the world wasn't worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes and in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Why this encourages me? There's no chapter and verse to find some of these people. You can look all you want. You won't find them in the Bible. Some of these people that are mentioned here are people that, that, that were a testimony to, to, this, to this generation of followers of Jesus. But you can't find their story like you find Moses'. You can't find their story like you find Abraham's. And you can't find their story like you find Rahab's. You can't. But they, but they existed. They lived. They acted. And the writer of Hebrews says, these are a cloud of witnesses to us. They bear witness to us. We can learn from them and grow from them and find a deep source of encouragement and truth and inspiration from them. These, it's a voice to the first century readers of this book, Hebrews. Even though the scripture doesn't record their names, their voice speaks to the early church. And their voice speaks to us today. Becomes a deep well for us. See, God's people become a depository for our spiritual nourishment. So scripture tells us that the saints, God's people, the church, is a deep well for us to live from. They bear witness to us. We can reach in and grow from them. But here's this other piece because I love, there's a little verse here in verse 40 at the end of chapter 11 that says, since God had planned something better for us, so that for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Here's this link here. God, in this text, what's happening here is there's a looking forward. The, the whole book of Hebrews is, is kind of there's something better in Jesus. There's something better in God's future. There's something better in his word. And here, God has planned something better for us. Obviously, these are the readers of the time. But then so that only together with us, those older people, the ones that went before them, and those current people in the first century, together, they'd be made perfect. So now the writer is putting them all together. You're all a body. You're all God's people. You're all this depository of faith as, as a body of Christ. Initially Israel and then the church. And this is amazing because we can put ourselves in that. We and the first century Christians reading this and the people that he's writing about are all in a sense together, us, God's people. The church continues this story. And you know what that means? This is crazy that we now bear witness to each other. Those people bore witness to God. God noticed them. Those people bore witness to the first church that is being written to and to us. And now we can bear witness to each other. We do that. You and I, as part of God's church in Christ, bear witness to each other. And not just to each other. We bear witness to the next generation. We bear witness to future generations. Now, I know this is a heavy calling. Because some of you guys are already like, I, I ain't Moses. I'm not Noah. I'm not even as as hospitable as Rahab. Sorry, please don't put me in that list. I get it. It, That's a heavy heavy calling to bear that now we bear witness to each other, that we become a deep source for one another, that what we call the church, that what we call God's people, the, the body of Christ, we bear witness to each other. Can we do that? Well, those people did it for this first century group. Some of them, we don't know their names. Some of them even lived within their times. And now we're reading it. Man, see, your view, our view of the church just got a promotion. Our view of the church just got an upgrade who we are and what we do and what we teach and and how we serve and how we discern and how we even admonish one another, that is, it all matters. It's so vital because we are a witness to each other. The church becomes a witness for the church become a voice for each other. And if we view it as a well, as a deep source like we have the last few weeks with silence and scripture and the listening to the spirit, all of a sudden, the church becomes this deep well that we draw from, that we live out of. The saints become a source we draw from. I'll just say it that way so we can remember it. The saints become a source we draw from. And you know, the early church demonstrated this in, in Acts 2. We see, we see the glimpse of this starting in Acts 2. So Check out this, this and maybe you're, you're very familiar with this verse, and some of you, it might be new, but here's Acts chapter 2. The church is just starting to form, and, and we've read this before, but listen, think of it in this context. They, talking about these new followers of Jesus, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. These four practices done in community that the early church were persistent in, faithful in, devoted to, for them to keep growing in faith, for them to keep now growing in this new life that they have. But what's so fascinating in here is that only one of these four resemble us opening the Bible. Isn't it true? Which one? The apostles' teaching. That's the one that resembles us opening the Bible, which is so vital that we open the Scriptures and learn. And we live out of an apostolic tradition. But it's incredible. We can actually say they devoted themselves to apostolic teaching, apostolic fellowship, apostolic prayer, and apostolic breaking of bread. It comes out of the tradition from the first century church that was committed to Jesus. They practiced this in community. And so, yes, apostles' teaching is so vital. But isn't it amazing that the first church learned how to grow in their faith and live this new life out of fellowship and prayer and breaking of bread? When we share communion together, we break bread. And now partner that with the apostles' apostles' teaching. And you have this full-bodied way of what it means to, to drink out of a deep well. I'm always fascinated, Acts chapter 6, you know, the apostles are, are, are getting, they're like, they're tired, there's Hebraic and Greek widows that they're serving, and they come to the end of their rope, they're like, I don't know what to do, we don't know, this is crazy, we have no, we, we can't organize this anymore, we don't have any more time, there's too many people here. So it tells us that they stop and say, hey, what can we do? So they, they pray about it, they think about it, they choose, uh, they choose seven people, they say, full of the Holy Spirit, you guys take this task, the apostles will pray and read the word. I, I read that passage a few times. There's no place where they said, Luke chapter 3, verse 4 told us to do this. No, they stopped, they paused, they prayed, they discerned. Out of the apostolic tradition, they realized this is our calling. Let's pray and discern. Where's the Spirit leading us? Let's go in this way. I'm not saying that, that we shouldn't go look in chapter 4. Verse. We should at times. But I, I think there's something to be said there of how they viewed what God was doing among them as a deep well of resource and then they moved forward who gives who gives you confidence to read the scriptures who gives you confidence or informed us that they were authoritative and who qualified these scriptures for us i didn't thank goodness i didn't i'm so glad i was not on that like committee of the council but you know what the church actually did that before anybody ever read a Bible, well, first of all, nobody ever read a Bible until the printing press in their hands. That's only the 15, 1600s. But nobody ever even, even understood what a, the Bible in 66 books, Old Testament, New Testament put together was until the 4th century. What does that mean? That, 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 that the heart of apostolic teaching and truth and vision what already existed before we ever had these books bounded together. And it's because the church lived in that tradition and grew out of that tradition and, and continued that tradition that they said, yes, Paul's, we can affirm Paul's writings. These, these should be around. Peter's writings, these should be in. God's revelation to John on that island of Patmos, the book of Revelation. This, this, is part of, this is part of God's movement from the beginning of the church. And all of, us, and all of it's all together. So who's given us this? Of course, the Holy Spirit's given us this confidence. But you know what? The church, God's work in the church and through the church paved the way for us to even read the scriptures. Isn't that amazing? What would you have done in... 223 BC, without a New Testament in your hand. You couldn't go to it. It would have been read in your community group or your home, maybe one of Paul's letters or Matthew's gospel. The church affirmed Paul's letters and Peter's and their creeds and hymns and prayers and teaching called the Didache. They became the source that helped them canonize the Bible that we read today. And they also did what Hebrews 12 says later on. They fixed their eyes on Jesus the author and finisher of their faith. Jesus was their primary and final authority, and because they lived and breathed and moved within that, we have what we have today through the scriptures, but we also can look back and say, God's design is that the church is a deep source of resourcement for us. And I say none of this, please, don't get me wrong, somebody's going like to send me an email that I'm a heretic or something. I say none of this to, to, put, to put a low view on the Bible at all. We always have to keep it primary. I just want us to recognize that we need a higher view of the church and that the church is also a depository of faith that God has is, is established for us. The church is the body of Christ knit together, led by the Spirit to be a source in life of wisdom for you and for me and for future generations. So we, like we're witnesses to each other. We bear witness to each other. What does that look like practically? And we're going to wrap up with this. It looks practically when people serve other people draw from that service when people love and give other people draw from that when people teach and, and and expound people we grow from that when when people others are ministering some people other people gain strength when someone's caring other people gain hope that's when when the church is active all of a sudden when when people pour into what it means to be the church others draw out from what it means to be the church right so even Even today, when people, you know, like we have 10 or 15 um, people serving in Kids West City, what are they doing? They are pouring as the church. It's not just individuals. As the church, they're pouring into the next generation, and this next generation is drawing from what's taking place. That's the church at work. It's not just a, a, a title, like a labeled ministry. It's the church. When we've gathered together, it's the church. The church is worshiped today. The church has called our attention to Jesus. The church is, is, we're reading the scriptures together. We're praying together. We're lifting each other up. And so it's so vital. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, remember we had that baby dedication? And we said, hey, it's your turn. Read off the screen. I will, what? I will be with this family. I will be a resource as we lift up Christ together. You, we've all, we all committed to that. We all committed to be the church, to be this well. This deeper source for one another. This week, there was an email going around in our church um, for prayer for a specific family that's moved out of town, and I was grateful to to see the email, and there was a prayer meeting going on where they sensed that they should be praying for this family specifically this week, and I thought it was amazing, and so, so it was a sensitive issue, so it went to just a few people, and they were welcome to invite someone to come for prayer on this evening, then they were going to get together and intercede. Just, just before God, pray for this family that needs so much encouragement and support and breakthrough right now. And I, I wish, like, I, I'm so grateful to just have the view, like that mountaintop view sometimes, like to see some of this stuff. Because out of that email, someone who was going to go to that night to pray, they wrote back and said, I was planning to come but there's this new mom, her family's a, uh, new immigrants to our neighborhood, and I, do, I feel like the Lord's put this person on my heart, and I'm just I I want going to be praying with you guys from a distance, but I need to serve this mom tonight. And then all of a sudden everybody's like, well, we're going to be praying for you too. And then someone else said, uh, I, I, I'm going to come, but here's also what's going on. All of a sudden, like three or four different stories start getting prayed for through this email. And people did get together on this evening to pray for this one family, but it spurred on so much prayer for others. And I thought, how amazing is that? That's what it means to draw from this deep well called the church. That's what it means for us to bear witness to one another. And we do this together. Why do we need this well? Why do you need this well? Well, God didn't didn't design it any other way. That we would be followers of Jesus, fixing our eyes on Christ, but we run this race, what? Together, right? And there are so many reasons that we should like, spend hours talking about why we cannot, we will not be able to na- you will not be able to navigate the future that's coming by yourself. You will not be able to navigate what it means to live in this next century with all the questions we're going to get from culture I gonna, I, it's going to be crazy one day when your kids are are, are adults and they say, you know, can, I don't know what to do with my kid. He has a friend at school that's a robot, and I, I like, what, is, what does it mean to be a Christian to this robot? I don't know. It's going to be a fun question to answer because Jesus is real, and he's going to be real then. But we have some, we're going to have some serious questions to answer. And you know what? We won't be able to do it alone. We're going to need to be the church together, right? The chur- And the church has weathered these... Storms. Remember in history when everyone thought the world was flat, and then somebody discovered it was round, and the church thought, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? The church worked, worked together and grew, and the Spirit led them, and they were able to continue to be a witness to the world in the middle of that seismic shift in culture. There's going to be some other s- seismic shifts. We're going to be the church together, discerning, because we fix our eyes on Jesus, the Holy Spirit leads us, and we're a body together. Amen? So I'm, I'm both kind of like, oh, what's that going to be like? And I'm also excited because God's given us everything we need to get through that and to move forward in that. So I'll end with, this, with, with the game. Don't worry, we won't play it. But I was at a men's event here a couple, about a year ago at, at our church and uh, a guest came and uh, he brought a game. And uh, I, I forgot it. I left it in my office. I should have brought it. Anyways, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting game. It's called Magic Maze. So um, as, as he puts the... Thanks, Beth. As he puts, um, the, sets up the game, if you're people who like to play games, this is what automatically went to my brain. I'm like, okay, tell me how to play this because I want to win. That was like, right? And you don't want to play Monopoly with me. I'm vicious. I just want to destroy everybody. No, destroy. Anyways. <laughs> but isn't it true when you play a game, you want to win, right? You're like... I'm in it to win. I don't care about everybody else. This is not real life. We can just destroy each other around the table, right? And so, so I said, what do, what do we do? How do we win? He's like, no, 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 no. You don't win. I said, what do you mean I don't win? Then I don't want to play. He's like, no, no. We either all win together or we all lose together. I'm like, what kind of game is this? But... So that's what happens is, is we, we, we stood around a table. We all got a card and that card gave us the way we had to move. Like I was able to move left and so and so was able to move up and another person had a certain kind of power to switch, you know, places on the board. And, and that was the only move we had. We had to work together. And we win or lost, we either like expanded this board and we got out of this mall because if we didn't, we'd be trapped, and that's the game. You can check it out online later. But here was the beautiful thing. I realized that. This is the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We run this race together, right? It's not competition, it's collaboration. Let us run the race Let us run the race, keeping our eyes on Jesus, who's who's ahead of us, who's above us, who's our head. Let us run the race. It's not your race. It's not my race. It's our race. We're in it together. We follow Christ together. We move forward together. Amen? That's the heart of this. And the church, us together, is also a deep well, a deep source for us to live out of. I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I want to remind you of the practices we said the last few weeks. Five minutes of silence. We said every day, what if if this became a ritual, a rhythm in our lives? Five minutes of silence, ten minutes of scripture, five minutes of listening to the Spirit. But we recognize we're not doing it alone. We add the church. Now, I can't give you how many minutes that'll take. But it means it's our posture. It's We're surrendered to one another We're surrendered to the body of Christ. We submit to the body of Christ. There's faithful engagement with the body of Christ. There's giving and there's receiving because we are running this race together. So my encouragement to you is, as you think about this, see, the first three, you could take that and say, I'm gonna grow so much this year. But when you add the church, you say, no, we're running this race together. We're gonna grow so much this year. We're gonna lean on each other. We're gonna commit to what it means to be God's people together because that is the way God has designed it. In fact, it would be sin if we didn't. It would be sin if we did not include what it means to be the body of Christ in our spiritual practices, in our spiritual life. But it's only for our benefit. It's so much better together. Let's stand and pray. God, thank you in your wisdom, in your sovereignty, through the work of your son Jesus, your Holy Spirit, you have designed and created the way that we are meant to live in our faith, in life, towards what you're preparing for us into the future. God, we're grateful for this, this, cloud, this cloud of witnesses. We're grateful because uh, you have given, in a sense, them to us. They bear witness to us. We can draw from them. And God, we, we also, right now, in this moment, surrender or resurrender to your invitation that we would become part of that cloud of witnesses. God, we don't say that in any way because we think we're doing something as awesome as some of those people. We know in many ways our faith <laughs> needs to keep growing. And I, God, I say that first for me. I don't feel like someone who, is, who the world's not worthy of. And yet somehow, God, you, when you see us, even in our imperfection, as we surrender to Jesus and follow Christ... And the work of your spirit in us, you've included us in this cloud of witnesses. We want to be people who bear witness to one another. And we want to be a people who bear witness to future generations. So God, help us, empower us to have that posture, that surrender, that submission, that belief that we learn and grow from the church as well. And we are the church that bears witness to each other and to those around us. And since we have this great cloud of witnesses, and since we are also a part of it, God, let us throw every weight or sin that entangles us and let us run the race with perseverance that's marked out before us as we look to Jesus. Keep our eyes on him, the author and finisher of our faith. And we trust that because we keep our eyes on him and because your Holy Spirit is leading us um, that you will show us when we veer off when we make mistakes um, when we walk in ways that don't honor you keep us humble keep us close to your truth keep us moving forward together in your name, amen